to show reverence to the Lord as we join together in hearing his word. Our Old Testament reading this morning is Psalm 97, verses 1 through 12. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the peoples see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame, who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are ex exalted far above all gods. O oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O oh, you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Our New Testament reading is John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. And Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so the world may believe that you sent me, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, indeed, we are grateful to you for gathering us as your people to worship you. And we're grateful that you have left to us your word 
your word that endures forever, that is sharper than a two-edged sword and pierces and discerns the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Oh, Lord, help us now as, as our, your word is before us, help us to hear. And may you, Lord Jesus, be pleased to work in each heart that which you desire to do, to glorify your name and to mold us into your image. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. In the movie, The Last of the Mohicans, Hawkeye, who's also known as Nathaniel Poe and Duncan Hayward, are both in love with the same woman, Cora. Cora is loved by Hayward, but Cora loves Hawkeye. And in the movie, three, the three find themselves running for their lives as they're chased by the Huron. They're caught, and Cora is about to be taken, but Hawkeye offers to trade his life for hers. But to make his offer, he has to depend on Hayward to translate his speech into French for the Huron. And he offers that, that he, being the son of the chief, would be a more honorable capture for the Hurons. And now Hawkeye's offer being translated into a, ling a language that he doesn't understand, he thinks he's making a convincing argument until Cora is given back to him and Hayward is taken instead. And Hawkeye is shouting, I said trade me, as he watches Hayward being hamstrung and, and dragged away. And Hayward replies, compliments, Mr. Poe. Take her and get out. And Cora, clueless, says, asks, what are they doing to Duncan? Duncan! And Hayward, with his last breath, says to Cora, and my compliments to you. And Hawkeye realizes that Hayward offered, him, offered up himself what, what, what he was saying is not what was being translated, but Hayward offers himself because he loved Cora more than his own happiness. He gives up his life for Cora to be happy, to be united with Hawkeye. And Hawkeye, I'm mean Hayward rather, really loved Cora, but she only thought of him as a, a friend. Yet he sacrificed himself for their love to flourish. So in a sense, Cora, not really recognizing the depth of Hayward's love for her, she's kind of like the world in, in the scripture reading here today, that, that, that scripture reading from John as Jesus is praying, he says that the world doesn't know the Father, doesn't know the Father's love, doesn't know the Son's love that's meant to reveal the Father to them, and this makes the world a dangerous place. See, the world doesn't know it is loved. It doesn't know the depth of love that it's missing. The world doesn't know the deep, soul-cleansing 
unifying, uplifting, glorifying love that it needs, that that love has been given. And we're reading Jesus' prayer, and he prays, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. Says so Jesus at the end of what? has been called and is called the Last Supper, prays for his followers to be one so that the world will know that the Father sent him and, his, and has loved them even as he has loved him. So it's the desire of the Father and the Son that the world of peoples knows him. They know his love to be united in him in, in complete oneness forever. But how are they to know this? How will they see this love and unity? Well, that's what the rest of the sermon is about, that the world may know. So here, here's what we learn from Jesus' prayer, that the church shows what the world needs to know. And how is the church, how is the church to show what the world needs to know? Well, the church shows what the world needs to know through the gift of unity and a glory that is shared while receiving a gracious deposit of love. Look at verses 20 and 21 of chapter 17. This is the gift of unity. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Unity is a gift that Jesus prays for us to have. And he prays that his disciples will have unity and that those who will believe in him through their word that they may all be one. Do you believe Jesus prayed for you? This is what this is saying. He prayed for you. He prayed, he prayed for me. And what's the nature of the, the nature of this unity is to be one like the Father and the Son are one. And we, might, we have to ask, what's so extraordinary about this? Well, consider who those who believe in Christ through the apostles' word will be. They will be people from Jerusalem, Judea, the uttermost parts of the world. They will be Jew and Gentile in the same body. They will be soldiers, slaves, slave owners, Roman citizens, government officials, rich and poor, old and young, prostitutes, male and female, orphans and widows. You see, these are, these are not affinity groups. They're not, it's not people gathering in their own little ethnic enclaves, but they are people who had no other reason to be together except Christ. Scott McKnight, in his book, A Fellowship of Difference, Showing the World God's Design for Life Together, this, this comes out of chapter two, chapter two in the, in the book. It's called uh, A Salad Bowl. You know, and so... He, he describes what the first century church might, look, might have looked like in, 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 in a house church. Paul's house church, he says, were composed of about 30 people. This would have been their 
approximate makeup, a craft worker in whose home they met, along with his wife and children, a couple of male slaves, a female domestic slave, and a dependent relative. Some tenants with families and slaves and dependents also living in the same home in rented rooms. Some family members of a householder who himself does not participate in the house church. A couple of slaves whose owners do not attend. Some freed slaves who did not participate in the church. A couple homeless people. A few migrant workers renting small rooms in the home. Add to this mix some Jewish folks and perhaps an enslaved prostitute and see how many different tastes, that's the salad bowl in, uh, analogy, were in a typical house church in Rome. That's, yeah, that, that's, that was the makeup of the early church. And there's no reason for these folks to be together except Jesus Christ prayed that they would be one. The unity is a gift. Chelsea Harmon is commenting on this passage. She says, she writes, she, she makes this great statement and then a very pointed question. All these people found a reason to be together. Jesus Christ, the love and glory of God. When did that stop being enough for us? In our hour, that is certainly a poignant question. The church is given an uncommon unity to show that the Father sent the Son. And this is important because the world doesn't know the Father or the Son. And the church living out this unity is, is how the world will know the Father and the Son's love. John 17, 25 says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. You see, the world doesn't know the Father. And this, as I said, this makes, this, makes, this makes the world a dangerous place. Humans, without God, pursue unity with threats and imprisonment, war, and sometimes death. So Jesus knows the Father and reveals him to those whom the Father has given him. In verse 6, he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. And then in verse 8, Jesus says, I came from you, he's talking to the Father, and they have believed that you sent me. You see, the unity we have is, is a gift that has its purpose in showing that the Father sent the Son. Hallelujah. And the people... Don't know that God sent his son because we say it's so. I mean, you know, yeah, everyone, everyone knows John 3.16 that God gave his son to, to be to his one and only son. You know, the, the, everybody knows that. It's inscrawled on stalls in the bathroom. But they don't know. You can know about this truth, but to actually know. I mean, I know, I know, I know a lot about a lot of people, but I've never met them. Uh, but to actually know him, this is what Jesus, this is what the church is to show. Because, because we have this oneness that's like the oneness of the Father and the Son, the church shows what the world needs to know by the gift of unity, but also through a glory that's shared. Look at verses 22 and 23 of John 17. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. 
I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. See, the church shows what the world needs to know through a shared glory. Uh, this glory that, that Christ has shared. So the word, the word in Greek, is, it's doxa. And so yeah, and it's, it sounds familiar, but if you think of doxological, the doxology, yeah, the doxa. You know, so what, what is that? Well, it's, it's to boast. It's to praise. It's, it's, to, it's to, to sing the praises of something. So by way of analogy, you know, the sun is something that we boast about. I mean, today, you know, you might hear someone say, you know, the sun, it's, it's up in all, it's risen in all of it, in all of its glory, and we'll boast about how nice the sunshine is, and it is nice, isn't it? Yeah. And we talk to each other about the, the happiness the sunshine brings. Songs are, are written about, this, about the sun and, and its glory to, to euphemistically re refer about the the, the happiness and the joy that, that one might feel in another person. You are the sunshine of my life. That's why I'll always be around you. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. Or I'm walking on sunshine. And don't it feel good? What are you doing? But your glory, you're glorying in the sun. Jesus said that he has given, he's placed, he's placed in our trust, committed to us his glory, that, that they may become perfectly one. So it's in this mutual care and handling of the glory of Christ that our unity becomes more and more matured. So it's a great thing that if you've gone through the new members class, uh, uh, inquirers class, oh, well, we've had several names, discovered grace. You know, uh, if you've gone through that, when we talk about how the centerpiece of our community is worship, because well, that's there. It's in worship that we get to mutually care for and handle the praise, the glory of Christ. And that our unity becomes more and more mature. And the love of the Father and the Son in that maturation is revealed to the world. So the saints are, are to talk of, of his saving work, to tell of his gift of unity, live lives of love for each other. To sing the greatness of his praise, all because they have been made partakers of the divine nature. In Psalm 97, and all of, in a lot of the Psalms, uh, the Psalms, uh, they're good. They're a good example of this. As, as, the, as the psalmist calls for all peoples to put down their their worthless or or their gloryless idols to worship the Lord who reigns. Let the earth be glad. The invitation is to all of the coastlands. That's the nations. Those are the nations that are surrounding the, the, the Mediterranean Sea. To all of the coastlands. The heavens proclaim, verse 6 and 7 says, The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame, but they have no glory compared to his who make their boast in worthless idols, worship him, all you gods. See, the Lord's glory is to be seen by all people. 
His glory exposes the false gods for the worthlessness, the worthless idols they are. His glory is the, is the source of our gladness. Look at verse 11 and 12 of Psalm 97. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. You see, Christ has given us his glory so that we may become perfectly one, but also that the world will know the Father sent him and has loved them. So there's this glorious deposit, this gracious deposit of love. Look at verse 24 through 26. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So Jesus prays for his followers to have the love that was his with the Father before the foundation of the world. How great can that love be? Now, to be, and he's, he wants this love to be in them. So the church shows what the world needs to know by receiving a gracious deposit of love. You didn't earn it. Christ gives it to us. The church has been given unity, and, and Christ has shared his glory with her, and now he has made the church a repository of his love. And this love is eternal by nature, as Jesus says, it was before the foundation of the world, and it's rooted in the character of God, and it's as it's experienced through his name. It's as he's continually giving and continuing to open up the name of the Father to us, this love grows. Jesus reveals that God is love. God, who declares himself, remember back in Exodus 34, that he maintains love to thousands See, Jesus is the fulfillment of that love, and he has graciously given it to the church. What a great standing we have with the Lord. It is this gracious deposit of love that makes unity possible. Love that is graciously received from Christ is a rebuke of division. You see this, that's what Paul would call the most excellent way in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31 and through 13 and 8. His, 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 every characteristic that Paul says makes love possible are, are the things that he rebukes them for in the previous chapters. So it makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense that the love Christ gives to us is the love we are to live among us, is the love the world needs to see to know that the Father sent the Son and loves them as he loves the Son. So what do we make of all of this? No, Christ is, Christ has, he's given us unity, he's given us glory, he's deposited his love because he has a globalist agenda. So that the world so that the world may know the Father and the Son's love. So, I don't care where your political ideology lands, embrace Christ's globalist agenda for the church. 
be a, a faithful presence of the love of God in the world. That's what we do. That's who we are. And we always talk about changing the world, but the way you change the world is by being a faithful presence with our unity in the world. So the, so the trouble with the world is that they don't know God. And someone might say, you know, that's a pretty simplistic statement, Pastor. I can't believe that you would say that, that that's all the world needs. Have you, have you seen the news? School shootings? Viruses? Power-hungry, war-mongering, land-grabbing leaders? Ethnic and, and religious persecution? How can you be so simplistic? It's simply stated, but you have to know that it's not simple. You have to listen, listen, to, listen to Jesus' prayer. Listen to his prayer as he's about to die. He's going to the cross. See, knowing God, knowing God is the key to everything. The trouble with the world is that it doesn't know God. If you read Romans chapter 1, if you look at yeah, you want to see the, the, the first bit of, of expressive individualism? Read the book of Judges, where every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and by the time you get to the end, you're like, yes, it's, it's horrible. Yeah, but, but yeah, so it's not, it's not simple. Knowing God is the key to everything. You can't know God if Jesus doesn't give his life. Is what he said in, in John 17, 6, or 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you know him? That's the question. He's about to go to the cross to die, to show us how much he and the Father loves the world. All human history has led to this moment. And now we look back at that moment in history. And if that is what fills your heart, there's no way to think of it as simple. Our unity is not simplistic, but it's most profound and a wonder to behold. Brothers and sisters, we're not wrong being together. Our unity of, of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, from, from every class and caste of male and female is a demonstration of the unifying power of the gospel. And Paul describes God's intention of using him and the church in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, listen to what he says. He says, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made what? Known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places that the world may know. The Last of Mohicans is a romanticized story, but even as, even as, even as you let the life of, of Korah and, and Hawkeye play out, you would have to say that their happiness and unity that is subsequent is because of the sacrifice of Duncan Hayward. So whenever we come to the Lord's table, we're letting the world know that our happiness, our unity, is because of Christ's sacrificial love, his death, his resurrection. Our participation in the body and blood of Christ is because we live 
by his virtue. We are together so that the world may know that the Father sent the Son and has loved them even as he loved the Son. together.